That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi, I'm Brianna Seely, off-script health producer for Vaxon and The Heart of Healthcare. Before we get started, I'd like to tell you about The Heart of Healthcare. The Heart of Healthcare podcast expands upon the traditional lens of healthcare. It explores the social determinants of health, including our food system, housing, climate change, and more. Your host, Hallie Teko, is a healthcare investor, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. Check out episodes like the Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company, where Mark Cuban shares the details of his new online pharmacy that offers steep discounts for generic drugs. To find out more, visit offscript.com shows. The link will be in our show notes. Enjoy the show. Hey, Laura. Hi. It's Vax on time, and we have a special guest. Love a special guest. The best part of the special guest is he is doubling the Jewish population in the room right now. <laughs> From 50% of Vax on to 66.6% of yes, Vax on? Yes, exactly. Excellent. Avi, welcome. Hello there. Thanks How for having you? me. I am wonderful. It's a thrill to have another human being here with us. We get very lonely. Matt, you need to introduce the guest. I just did. No, you didn't. No, you're in charge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So we have with us Avi, who is really Avisha Nesavir. No, I said it wrong. Say it again. Say your name. <laughs> Avisha Nesaver. Avisha Nesaver. Who We're is, gonna keep all of this. We're by gonna the keep way. all of it. Yeah. You know what? It, it's probably a good thing because I can't pretty I much that. every time in my life I have to introduce myself. We have to go through a couple iteration cycles, so it's yeah. good to like, get that on the front end. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I try to be sensitive with people's names because I have like an unusual name and nobody ever gets it right. So when I'm pronouncing someone else's name, I really try, and um, we'll see how that works today. <laughs> so we met through a common friend in the digital health nerd reverse named Alex Fair. So shout out to Alex Fair, our mutual friend. And Avi is a professional nerd. He's a professional science nerd and a TikToker. Well, yeah, our first TikToker ever on the Out of Patience show or the Vaxxon segment ever. How do you know that our other guests weren't like closet TikTokers? I think on the Rare Disease show I had a TikToker, mm. but not on my particular show. Does that make us like extra cool or not even? We're we're slightly hipper right now. Well, these days, nerd is the new cool. So That's the top right. resume item for me really is nerd, and then everything else comes after I that. see. I, I have now lived long enough for that to be cool, and well, I love it. we were it. the first cool nerds, or we assumed we were back in the 80s. Matt, we weren't cool. We weren't cool? We were definitely not cool. I thought we were... All right, fine. I know you we thought were we were cool. cool. We were totally we not, were not cool. We were not cool. All right. Retracted. <laughs> Avi, however, is extremely cool. He's got these amazing TikToks out there, and it seems like his whole mission is exactly what our mission is, only he's doing it like much funner, debunking COVID myths and other science myths, not even just COVID, right? Do you ever like one or two specific, like either knee slapping or face palming stories you can tell us of the people that follow you? So you have, you have millions of likes and hundreds of thousands of followers. I don't know how the, I don't know what that means in TikTok world. <laughs> it means he's famous. You're, you're Twitter famous. Yeah. No, you're TikTok he's famous. He's TikTok famous. You're Twitter. He's going to put out an Twitter album aware. soon. Okay, let's see. 
I guess one to come to mind was I was actually at a sort of house party in my brother's apartment not too long ago. And throughout the night, there was a guy from across the room who was just giving me really weird looks. And he's like, he would glance at me. I would look over, he would glance away. And I didn't think anything of it. Then later on, I left and my brother comes to me. He's like, so I don't know if you know this, but there was a guy here who he apparently has been following you on TikTok for over a year and was just really embarrassed. Like he he was too, he couldn't he was come starstruck? Up, Yeah, he couldn't come over and talk to you. I was like, somebody got <laughs> starstruck by you? That's amazing. That's like, really This cool. has never happened to me before. Uh, that's how you know you've made it. You really made it. <laughs> the only other times that's really happened is a lot of times on business calls, if my TikTok comes up, there are times when someone will come to me and be like, oh, my, my daughter showed me a video and you were in it. Were you like, um, like I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> you're going to get that. You're that guy from that thing, aren't you? <laughs> exactly. Right. So your handle, appropriately enough, is distilled science. That's right. Because... At the start, I was thinking about maybe making it COVID-focused, and then I realized, look, right now, COVID misinformation is a massive problem, but it's really shed a light on the larger problem, which is the information gap, the broken telephone chain between science, journalist, and consumer, and that just needs to be fixed all around. I mean, science is hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, can I? It's confession time. Oh, boy. I don't like science. I've never liked science in school. <gasps> no, you take that back. Science is my least favorite subject always. Um, it has always been. But science is like 50 different things. Yes, but I've never liked studying any of them. Okay. But no, so for me, I am your audience. I am the person who I really need you to give it to me in like bite-sized pieces because I've never developed that side of my brain that's like a really good kind of um, like baseline knowledge. <laughs> you know? I just like my brain doesn't. I'm a lawyer, right? My brain doesn't work in science ways. So that's not my go to place. And some people it is because I know I know, Avi, you're an engineer, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm also married to an engineer. And I know that that engineers brains work just like a little differently than mine does. <laughs> So, I, but I say this really with gratitude and respect for what you're doing because it is so important to help people like me understand the scientific, understand the scientific information in a way that's going to be digestible and usable in my life. But you're already ahead of the game, though, because see, she's receptive to science and looking for an explanation. Yes. 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 So, is it worth just cutting out a third of the country who will never just accept the fact that science is not opinion? say cut them out i'd say is there hope are you optimistic in the slightest jewish sense oh there is always hope with a one percent chance that's still enough to you know get rid of the other 99 and eventually you'll get it so there's a chance <laughs> <laughs> um before we get started with uh with debunking live on air debunking um exactly give me a little background on like what was your experience during the lockdown I actually had a pretty fun time during the lockdown. Said and that, no one ever. <laughs> right? So, I've just learned now that Avi doesn't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. But I feel like in my social group, we developed the concept of bubbles or pods a mm -hmm. little bit ahead of the game. I've always worked from home. I haven't worked in an office since, I don't know, one internship back in college. So I had my workflow very well set up where I didn't have to think about the difference between office or not office. And pretty much... Immediately, as soon as the lockdown started, myself, my girlfriend, my brother, a couple friends who were also all working from home decided, look, we're just going to go and see only each other. 
We're not going to expose ourselves to anyone externally. We're just going to do everything together. And we had this nice group of like six to eight people with no external exposures that had a pretty nice social life. Nice. Did you call it a pod or did you have your own name for it? We called it a COVID bubble. Okay. Okay. I like it. Um, I mean, I think that's great. I, and and to me, as a social person, that was like the first thing I wanted to do during the lockdowns was I wanted to have a bubble of people that said that they wouldn't see anybody else except me. But because I have children and family nearby, it was impossible to do that because everyone had like, oh, I want to see each other, but also my in-laws. Oh, <laughs> we yeah. were like, no, no, it doesn't work that way. You have to literally cut everyone off except the people in the bubble. So I live in the Upper West Side and there's a very large Jewish community there where pre-COVID, the way everything would happen is you had different circles of friendships with tons of crossovers, lots of social events on the Sabbath, like Friday night, Saturday day, we'd have all these potluck meals together. And when COVID happened, that all sort of cut off. But you would have people with different levels of COVID tolerance, risk tolerance, different sorts of policies within their bubbles, what they would be doing. And what was sort of funny is I ended up being like the COVID rabbi. Just like people <laughs> would <go. laughs> Hold on. That's a whole other Hold TikTok channel. On. Right. So we made it until this point in the podcast before you just hit me with the COVID rabbi. That's right. You can't just bring that on me. So- I mean, I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home, and when you had a question involving Jewish law, the, what, do you, what do you do? You call the rabbi, like, Rabbi, this just happened with my pot and my pan, and like the. Is that something that happens a lot? People have co- have Jewish questions that they need answered. Oh yeah, it's actually. It's it, not Yelp. It's Yelp. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning so much today. Pretty much, it's you. Something weird happens in the kitchen, and you need to make sure if it's still kosher. You call the rabbi. You oh. describe the situation. You tell him, "Okay, kosher I was hotline. using yeah, I was using this dish. The milk splashed. What do I do?" And the rabbi says, "Okay, well, based on this source and this source and this source, this is this is your situation. This is what you do, and you go forward." This so, is so different than the way Catholics would handle a question like that. We would be like, "Whatever, we tried. That's going to be enough. Yeah. Go on." Right? <laughs> That's so not. Enough. Then when it came to COVID, I started getting all of these situations where a friend would call me, be like, "Hey." can I put my sister on the line? We, we've got a question. And she'd be like, okay, well, so I I was having lunch with someone and then three days later, I find out that they tested positive with COVID, but we were only indoors for a total of like this amount of time. And then they saw this person and then this is the chain and this is the situation and they have one vaccine dose or not. And and they came to you because they, they trusted you to sort through the scientific information that was available and give them like a coherent analysis. Exactly. Right? Once it became known within my circles that I actually did read all the research and could give them a pretty objective opinion, just, okay, based on our current understanding of the science, this is what I can tell you about your risk level based on the situation you described. I love that. That's exactly what we all needed. That's what we were all looking for. Like, what if we do this? What about this kind of party? What about this airplane? I love that. Did you find during that time or or now, is there something, um, is there a type of like COVID myth or something out there that is most or was most in need of debunking? It definitely varied based on the time. So different ones rose and fell. It also depends. We've gone through different sequences of who is spreading this information. At the early phase, especially when the vaccines were being developed and coming close to the market and then first hitting the market, everyone was confused about are these vaccines going to be safe or were they too rushed? So the number one point was probably just let's describe what being rushed means and why it's not actually relevant for the safety. So important. That was and that was a big one. That was a question I had because I was like, what do you mean they're going to do like if they're to me, it always seemed like when the when the pilot of an airplane says that they made up time, 
And I'm kind of like, why aren't you always just flying as right. fast as you can? Like, like exactly. Why aren't they always making vaccines as fast as they can? And now I understand that it wasn't really about making them. It was about the other stuff that takes a long time. Exactly. And one important thing to remember within the COVID misinformation space is people often mislabel others as anti-vaxxers. Before COVID, the whole anti-vaxxer label, it was a very, very small subset of the population. It was a small subset of Jenny McCarthy's immediate family. <laughs> there you go. It was the Robert Kennedys of the world, the Andrew Wakefields, the people who either were themselves very financially incentivized by being leaders in this community. And then the people who were in the community were usually ones who had the unfortunate experience of having a child, having them get vaccinated, then having something bad happen. And the representative bias from cognitive science tells us that when our brains are really bad at statistics, so instead if we see two things happen next to each other, we won't understand how common or how uncommon they are. And we just like to draw causation when it should not happen. So, so that's exactly, do you know what test that's on that I teach? In that's, law? That's on the LSAT. Really? The difference between causation and correlation. Now, is that on, is it in medical like science tests? Like, the, is it on the MCAT? I don't think so. These days, I wouldn't be surprised if it were. I don't it's think definitely... it is. That's like regular just logic, like regular uh, verbal logic. And yes, and that's exactly right, that people think whenever two things happen at the same time, like you get your car washed and a bird shits on it, getting your car washed didn't cause the bird to shit on it. It yeah. just happens at the same time and you just but notice it. But if you didn't it. get your car washed, would the bird have still shit on it? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if it did it in the forest, would it have made a sound? <laughs> yes. I love that. This is why I love your TikToks, because you're out there just pointing out that those exact problems with things that people are saying. I, so I have one more question before we get to, you know, one of well, our I, stories. I have a that, Jewish yeah. cynic question when you're done. There's a lot of Jewish stuff going on. Did, nobody told me this was the Jewish hour. You're Jewish. Come on. You've earned your rights. You're Italian, <laughs> do you know, do you you're know Greek, someone, and you're Jewish. Someone who has known me for two years, actually, no, three years, someone who's known me all through COVID told me the other day that this whole time she thought I was Jewish. And I was like, it's always weird. I never know how to feel about that. Like, I don't want to say like, like, I'm offended. I'm obviously not offended. I'm like, okay, but I'm also not like, oh, thank you. Like, it's just like a but, weird but thing. But Staten Island in the 80s was Italians and Jews. Oh, yeah. We're the same culture. Okay. Food and guilt <laughs> and death. Yes, but yeah. there's a lot more rage within the Italians. Yeah, yeah. Much, we're more subdued. <laughs> yes. We internalize our rage. Yes. You know, my girlfriend was just telling me that apparently they did a production of The Fiddler on the Roof in Japan. What? And the Japanese response was, but this is about Japanese people. You're kidding. Really? Yeah. Because Japanese traditional culture, apparently it resonated so strongly with them. That's crazy. Indian Re culture, too. I've, I've had several people yeah, on the yeah. show uh, of Indian descent. And it's the same thing. Like, it's, it's wow. guilt, tradition, food. Wow. That's so interesting, though. Fiddler on the Roof is the most depressing show ever. <laughs> it's even more depressing than Titanic the musical. But it just, I don't know, it, it always puts me in like a somber mood. All anyway. right, so before we anyway. get to our segment, I have a, a related, I just don't know how I never asked this question before. So in, just for the listeners, for, for the Goyesha listeners, <laughs> in, in Judaism, to in order to pray on the Shabbos, you need what's called a minion. Yes. You need 10 men. Really? I think that includes women these days. Because Wait, of where is this going? Okay. <laughs> How did minions work on Zoom? That's actually a very good question. And there is significant debate about that within the Jewish community. So different levels of orthodoxy would sometimes either allow it or not allow it. You definitely had a pretty large 
split. Like a reform rabbi would tell you, absolutely zooming in, totally fine. A conservative rabbi would probably also tell you, zooming in, totally fine. Most Orthodox rabbis would say no, a zooming in does not actually count as the 10, but on some of like the more like left end of things, you might still get a like extenuating circumstance. Yes, we'll get, we're going to count it. It's because you have to use electricity. Yeah. So what they would do is usually set up the laptop in advance of the Sabbath starting. Right. They'd have it going so that they don't have to deal with that. And then, sit down in front of it and yeah. walk away from it. Exactly. Yeah. Is that is that's like the, the Catholic equivalent of that is when um, they started baptizing babies by throwing the holy water. Oh, yeah? Yeah, from six feet away, yeah. Holy. <laughs> Socially distanced. Uh, Socially distanced baptisms. Everybody finds a way to cope, right? So I have, wait, I have one question for you, Avi. So um, during your time as, you know, COVID kind of expert to your people, did you have anybody that came to you to ask you if the vaccine made them magnetic or any kind of like crazy shit like that, or infertile, or Bill or, Gates' chip was doing it wasn't working. Like, did you have people that asked you that for real? Occasionally. What What did you say to them? My response to those sorts of people are always, "Tell me a little bit why you think this. Where are you coming from? What led you to believe what you believe? Because if if they're already at a point where they're seriously doubting whether or not there's a microchip in their arm." Nothing I say from a fact perspective is going to influence them in the slightest. The only possible method to actually induce some level of behavioral change is to come across as entirely non-judgmental and start figuring out where they are coming from, what are the social, emotional reasons for why they believe what they believe. And once we can start piecing those out, only then can I subtly start saying, okay, well, how would you feel if I showed you some piece of information XYZ? But that comes way farther down the line. I have to tell you, I love that answer so much. Um, and we heard a, a similar a version of of this answer when we had Ms. Information here as a guest who is a drag queen and also someone who's out there in the community trying really hard to debunk misinformation. And she said the same thing, that the most important step to um, helping someone who is misinformed to become informed is to approach them really non-judgmentally and to start by how did they get there and how would they feel and not just like bang them over the head with facts, which by the way, is exactly what I would do. <laughs> it would be totally ineffective. A brick of facts. Yeah, like that. I only know how to do the brick. Oh, right. that is definitely my first instinct. I had to train myself a lot to get away from that because yeah, I, I can spit off like a thousand COVID facts off the top of right, my head. Right, but it doesn't like, work though. Yeah, no one, they just tune it out. I think that's great. And I, I honestly, really, I, I applaud you for spreading that message about how to communicate with people because it is so, so, so important. Um, and I think that, you know, not only just in COVID, not only just with science, but with everything that when you disagree with somebody, really the best way to kind of deal with it and work through it is to approach it with that attitude, um, hard as it may be. But I, I applaud that someone is an expert in that. I am not an expert in being gentle with people I disagree you with. You are the COVID rabbi. You know, that could have been my other TikTok handle. Yeah. It would have worked too. Probably. Yeah. Would have niched down a little bit more than I had intended, though. Yeah, the algorithm <laughs> might have been biased. I 100% would have been like, okay, he's going to talk about matzahs, so I don't need to watch. Like, so I would also definitely have to put on the fake beard every time I film the video. Yeah. I have a fake beard, but or the fake payas. Yeah, I too. feel like no, I feel like that's. <laughs> I feel like that's not nice. I don't know why, but I feel like it's not. We good. can say that. You yeah. can't say exactly. That. I'm allowed. Yeah. Okay. It's one of those. I used to have payas. Got it. Okay. So you're allowed. You. I. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> Okay. So we're going to say a quick prayer. 
We are? We're going to do a blessing over the advertising. We'll be right back. Jesus. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So we're back. I want to talk about, um, I have young kids, Allura has young kids. I mean, they're over the age of five, all of us collectively. But I have people I love who are five and under. Yes, And exactly. I need to know. My cousins are under the age of five. Um, Pfizer and Moderna's COVID vaccine finally, about time, approved. What took so long? What are your thoughts, Avi? It definitely took way longer than we wanted it to, especially given the fact that the Moderna data was pretty much as is for quite a while before that <laughs> actual approval came out. They were sort of waiting to do Pfizer and Moderna at the same time. So yeah, it's a bit frustrating how long it took. But given the fact that we're talking about kids and safety, as it is right now, only around one in five parents say that they're going to immediately go and vaccinate their kids. So I'd rather that they took their time a little bit more so that they can really assure people that we dotted all our I's, crossed our T's, this is fine, this is effective, you should do it, rather than try to rush things and then down the line, people are just not trusting it at all. So since COVID started, it's always been sort of different for kids under five, right? The the transmissibility rate seems to be a little bit less. The infection rate seems to be a, a lot less, right? So I would say yes and no to that. Oh, tell In me. In the early phase of the pandemic, we thought that kids were less likely to transmit COVID. And a large amount of that was just due to the fact that 2020 lockdowns, adults were going out, they were going shopping, some were going to work, kids were staying in. So the initial numbers, the initial studies seemed to show like uh, kids were 50% as likely to transmit it as adults. But come 2021, we started to realize that kids, when you actually look at studies that document cases and then document all the close contacts, household context of those cases, then suddenly a child is just as likely to transmit it if they have it as an adult was. Just as likely? Yes. Oh, I thought it was still somewhat less, but it it's just as likely. Here's where I have to caveat Goddamn that. Goddamn kids. Kids are less likely to have a severe disease progression, meaning they're less likely to have as high of a viral load for as long which means that in aggregate, 
they are less likely to transmit it because they will not have it for as long and as bad. The window oh, is much smaller. I see. So it's not. So it's kind of like if the other factors were equal, like if it was a kid as sick at the same time in the illness with the same symptoms, sneezing the same amount or whatever it is, they would transmit it the same rate. But the kids just aren't in that circumstance as much. Exactly. And there's also some counterbalancing because, yes, they're not as likely to have a severe disease, but especially for the kids under two they're a lot more likely to give it to their primary caregiver because of just how much right, face to face kids up are close in your face with their fingers in your mouth in exactly. your nose licking yep. your face touching your eyeballs and breathing oh, on you they will newborns. sneeze in your mouth and not apologize Kid, no yeah kids are kids are good for that they're good for just like mommy <coughs> coughing right in your face at all times i have snot here yeah. <laughs> in fact i remember in the beginning of the pandemic you know during the time we were terrified we we're all going to drop dead from covid like being really afraid, like, oh, my God, if kids get this, we're dead because kids, they can't, you know, little kids, especially they can't be trusted to, like, be careful. Like, that's not even a concept for little kids. Oh, yeah. Right. It, like, there's no being careful. And there are some diseases that affect kids worse than adults. So we have right. to be pretty lucky in the fact that that's they right. actually were better. Yeah. And I would sort of view kids as similar to how I view vaccinated folks. In both cases, you're talking about something that is making it that their disease progression is not as severe. They're not as likely to get as sick for as long. And just like people would often say, oh, vaccines don't stop transmission. That's patently false, especially because, A, if you're less likely to get sick, you're less likely to transmit it. And B, when you get sick, if you are not as sick for as long, you are less likely to transmit it. So the same reasoning applies to both the vaccinated and the young. I think that makes really good sense. I, I wonder what you have to say about the fact that that there are many people who are going to say, well, uh, so far our experience in COVID is, has been that kids have not had the worst of it. Um, so the chances are if my child who is two years old or three years old gets COVID, they're probably going to be OK. It's Even if they're unvaccinated, they're probably going to be fine. Um, and many people are going to use that, you know, that belief to say, well, that's why I don't need to get my kid vaccinated. It's been what I can't do math, like two years since the pandemic started. Right. Yeah. More than that. Right. We're all right. So we're, we're well past two years. Yeah. And we've not had a vaccine for kids under five this whole time. How many kids have gotten covid under the age of five this whole time? Millions. Right. But the key question there is you got to look at it from several different perspectives. So first. The basic non-in-depth perspective is how many kids got sick, how many kids were hospitalized, how many kids died. Thankfully, the answer to the last number is very small. It's, I think, under 2,000 deaths from kids documented because of COVID. But that's a very good thing. Hospitalizations are a lot larger. And once the kids are in the hospital, the hospital stays. Like uh, when you compare the flu versus COVID, Kids hospitalized with COVID will be in the hospital for longer and have a greater chance of being admitted to the ICU. Oh, really? And that's something that we we definitely want to prevent. Of course. And there was a study published not too long ago really analyzing the difference between COVID and the flu. And overall, the flu is not quite as bad for kids as COVID, both in terms of the transmissibility. So you're a lot more likely to get COVID and you're a bit more likely to end up in the hospital and have a longer hospital stay, stay disease progression I might have to caveat they'll end up in the hospital. It might be pretty similar numbers for ending up in the hospital. But once you're there, it's a bit worse. For it's kids. worse. Mm -hmm. So it's not about like the terrifying they're going to die. Exactly. But, that, but as you said before, kids transmit to their primary caregivers. Exactly. So that's really a bigger problem, right? For this whole time, what I've been telling parents is essentially, look, the data, thankfully, is great that if your kid gets COVID, you should not freak out. Even if they have comorbidities, your kid has asthma, their odds of having severe COVID outcomes are way lower than your odds. 
So don't worry about them all that much from that perspective. Not that it's impossible. Right. Because it can happen. But that's not really the, like the primary the, thing to freak out about. Exactly. But what you should need to think about is, A, the fact that they can definitely transmit it to their older caregivers. If you have a grandparent who's visiting them, you don't want them to die because your kid got sick and they got sick because they weren't vaccinated. Right. The goal is to have your kid not be like a little ticking time bomb, right? Like your kid gets COVID and now they're a Petri dish like we know kids always are. And then they, you know, they come into a family gathering and then everyone is sick because little Tallulah had COVID. Exactly. Limiting community transmission is extremely important. And then even the fact that you can vaccinate them and prevent, I don't know, 500 of those thousand deaths. Wouldn't you like to save the lives of 500 kids? Right. Exactly. I mean, I see I always err on the side of I, I, I can't take it when my kids are sick, even if it's just a cold. It distracts me the whole time they're not feeling well. Um, I just can't stand it. I hate for kids to have to miss anything. I hate for them to not feel well. I just hate it. I mean, not that anybody likes it, but I am, I get particularly emotional about kids being sick in any way. So my brain is like, if there's literally anything I can do to stop children from getting sick, even if it's a cold, why wouldn't I do it? Unless it's like dangerous to do whatever the thing is. But it seems like the data is really clear here that the vaccines are not dangerous for children. Exactly. But that speaks to, again, like like uh, as a parent, my kids are 12, but like I remember when they were like two and three and four. They were before they were 12. They were two. They were under five. There was math happening <laughs> before today, reducing my children's age by a matter of subtraction. But were your kids doing math at that age? <laughs> they were Gotta counting start their toes. Young. Yes, but not they're, accurately. He's picking his boogers out and counting them and eating them. That was my son. Gross. My son, everyone. <laughs> picking his boogers. All right, there we go. There's a lot of emotional connection to small children where we want to protect them from things, of course. But the predilection is that I still think there's a stigma in this country, whether you're in in the science world, in, in the data world, in the fact world or not, do kids really need this? And you're talking about the fact that, yes, it would be great if they did, but do it for grandma. The question is not do they need it, can they survive without it, or can they not? The question is, will the total good be greater if you give kids vaccines or don't give kids vaccines? And when you take into account the positives and the negatives, you get that from a societal perspective, a public health perspective, you are going to save lives, save trauma, save money if the kids get vaccinated. That is brilliant. Thank you so much for putting it that way. I think that's really, really an important message. Well, that's also uh, the best possible segue to our last segment, which is mortality. Ah, the that death people segment. are dying from COVID at a rate close to the lowest of the pandemic. I think the number he was 314 people every day in the U.S. are dying from COVID now, nearly all of them unvaccinated. And we don't, we are, again, we keep saying this on the show, we, we are, we're anti-death. We don't want people to die here on the show. Vaccinated or not. Yeah. Even the people that think they're magnetic, they yeah, also shouldn't like die. The Bill Gates ship's not working. But either way, we don't want people to die. But how do you start to square the mental circle over what else can we do at this point if there's still this mass unwillingness to get vaccinated as an adult? Where do we draw the line on empathy, sympathy, apathy, encouragement, support, community. So this ties back to what I was alluding to at the beginning of the show, which is there are anti-vaxxers, which is are a very small segment of the population. And then there's the people in the middle. And what I've been doing over the course of the pandemic is trying to talk to the people in the middle. You have 
those who hear the misinformation, the lies, the pieces of propaganda that are being spread by the anti-vaxxers, and it instills in them a seed of doubt. They're not sure. And it's way easier to not do something than to do something. So if you look between, I don't know if this vaccine is safe, I don't know if it is not, and you're trying to make the decision, should I get vaccinated? It's easier to say, oh, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for more information. Most of the people at the start who weren't getting vaccinated were those people who were very unsure. We are now getting to the point where the ones who are not getting vaccinated, they really are pretty set in their ways. They've been justifying their own stance to their friends, their peers for so long that there's not all that much we can do at this point in time to really shift that in a very large way. When it comes to how we view them though, for every thousand people who are refusing to get vaccinated, there's probably only one or two who I will have very little empathy for if they end up in the ICU with COVID. Those one or two are the Robert Malone's, the Andrew Wakefield's, the people who are actually spreading the vaccine misinformation. And many of them spreading it because it somehow is helpful to them financially or they have an interest in, in exactly. spreading misinformation. But there are so many people, the vast, vast majority, who are staunch refusers to get vaccinated. I don't blame them at all because they have been surrounded by information sources that feed them things that make it that within their worldview, it doesn't make sense to get vaccinated. And that's not really their fault. I love that. I, I, you know, I feel like I'm a better person for just being here and listening to Avi. <laughs> no, really. This the COVID has been, rabbi therapy. This has, been, this has been a great conversation. And I think that that your outlook, I think that your way of um, processing and communicating scientific information, all of it is so helpful and so important for all of us to hear. So we really thank you for coming on to Vaxon. This is, it's been fantastic getting to know you. Can you please tell our listeners, uh, where can they find you? Where can they see your awesome TikToks? Um, and, and what's going on with you? Where, you know, where are we going to see you in the future? Besides back here. Besides back here. Well, I definitely look forward to being back here, but on the interwebs, you can find me at distilled science on TikTok and Instagram. Also Twitter, but there's no E in the distilled because they've got a character limit. Distilled. Uh, yeah, exactly. Distilled. Okay. I like exactly. Tumblr. Like there's no. Like Tumblr. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will be launching a new website, distilledscience.xyz, very soon, but it's not quite available yet. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks. All right. We'll amuse ourselves with the TikTok channel. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. Keep on doing what you do and we'll see you again soon. Avisha Nesavir. No, you Avisha said it wrong. Nesaver. Avisha Nesaver. Boom. Don't worry. Alex has mispronounced my name for the last five or six just, years. Just name yourself Cher or something. We're just going by Rabbi COVID. Rabbi COVID. COVID Rabbi. COVID Rabbi. COVID Rabbi. COVID Rabbi. COVID Rabbi works better than Rabbi COVID. Rabbi COVID makes me sound like COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. COVID scientist, engineer, founder, biohacker, science communicator, everything. All the things. Thank you for coming on the show. And to our listeners and my dear Allura. Yes. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back next week. See you next week. That's all for now. If you like Facts On, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us your shit show of a healthcare story by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Facts On is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Brianna Seeley. Our hosts are Matthew Zachary and Alora Nanos. 
It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Brianna Seeley. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.